welcome to the Saturday Night South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Conor O'Gara. Marler, I've got one word for you. <laughs> Man, we've been waiting for years to say this. And Arkansas fans, we can't cuss on the podcast, right? But woo, it's never stopped pig, before. Suey, guys, that is right off the bat. Let's say it. It's got to feel so good. It's been two years. I feel so happy. I mean, three years, three years, one thousand seventy-one. How much days. has changed? How much has changed since Arkansas last won? I, I can tell you firsthand. I have lost, gained, and then uh, lost, and then regained a minimum of seventy combined pounds. There's Carol one Baskin thing. happened. Carol Baskin happened. We had an t- entire global pandemic. Um, Tua was a thing. Yeah. Um, Seventeen five-star quarterbacks transferred out and into Georgia during that time. TikTok came and went. Oh, well, I think TikTok's still around. Um, yeah, there's, there's a what, what else happened? We missed so much. They made at least. Well, actually, they didn't make a Fast and Furious movie, which is probably the most depressing part. Mm. Arkansas. I am so happy for Arkansas fans because I know this has been rough, and this is, this is like one of those things that. Before this job, I didn't really have any like direct ties to Arkansas fans or anything like that. But then, like you, you do some radio stuff and you talk to people at media days and you communicate regularly with, with some of these people. And for people, you know, like like Ty Richardson, I, I know that that he was watching that game on Saturday and just fingers crossed until yeah. the very end when they they somehow you know committed a penalty and there's still 30 seconds left and they're like, oh my gosh, they're gonna find a way to blow this. But Arkansas takes down Mike Leach. And that that today is is our is our big headline. We're gonna get to everything yep. in the SEC. We're gonna recap every single game. It was a wild Saturday overall in college football. Eight teams in the AP top twenty-five went down: Mississippi State, Oklahoma, Texas, UCF, Auburn, Texas A&M, hold on, hold on. and Memphis. Go back. Oh yeah. Go, God, that just the oh man, the, like that whole sentence just did things to me. Texas lost, which is not great for my college football playoff pick. Whatever, but Texas lost. Oklahoma lost, but they won the first half. Mm. Uh, UCF lost, and Auburn lost. To Tulsa, again! That is a just a damn perfect day of football. If, if one was... other team lost, it would have been literally a perfect day of football. We have, uh, we're going to recap kind of the way that things went with with some picks as well, some things that we were looking for in these games that actually came to fruition a lot more yeah, this week than, than the opener. <laughs> um, yeah, don't quite feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this for a living and telling uh, people what's going to happen. We, our confidence was pretty shaken last week, and, and I remember I said this to Allie. Um, you, know, you know that whole meme they have? It's like, yeah, sex is great, but how about this? And I, I just remember saying to her, I go, Sure, sex is great, but but have you ever just felt validated in your sports opinions and it actually came that came true, and and that's what yesterday was. It was like 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 after a rough first week, it was after after a rough and, rough first week. I had a goose egg. A yeah. Shout out to Jay Woody, by the way, who I had to explain what oh, yeah. what a goose egg was in my Yankee voice. Right, um, a goose egg is an over a zero, uh, an o six and How did one, you not and know I'm not. That? Like Joe Burrow, I am not going to count the tie as anything other than a loss. Right. It's a goose egg. It's zero, Ooh, wow. six, and one. No, 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 Got no. Like Joe back. Burrow. Like Joe Burrow, I am not counting a tie as yeah. anything other than a loss because I did not win. Yeah. This it, isn't Canada. I um, Yeah, I hate that about gambling, too. I mean, it's good to get the money back, but, like, still. I, um, you know, like, I, I said this going into the season because I was like, man, that, like, this whole year has been, it's been odd. Like, you just don't get into your routine because, like, Preseason, especially, it's like I, I the summer months. Uh, you know, you're 
just scouring through these Phil Steele magazines and you know media days and this and that and like and you're learning about all these different players and and, and stuff and making these bold predictions and it didn't feel that way as much this year because it was like there's still this like negative cloud and possibility of that we might not have a season and and so I just I didn't know if I was just gonna be like this all year like if, if I was just gonna, all of my predictions would be wrong all year because like I I just didn't know what we we're gonna see and it only took one week got our swagger back if I was like yeah I mean that that's one of those things about this business too that you learn that like you don't necessarily like always root for specific yeah. teams or something like that but you just don't want to look like a total idiot so. Um, we will recap the entire day that was in the SEC. We're going to guess some week three lines. We've got Sunday apologies as well. The new staple, the new post-mortem staple. But before we get to all of that, Marler, our friends at Texas Pete provided me another great lunch yesterday because just because it was the weekend doesn't mean I was going to break from my routine. Of course, I doused some chicken in Texas Pete. And it's always the halftime of the noon games when I when I do that and I bust out the Texas Pete. But I think you over under two meals that you had Texas Pete yesterday. Oh, I smashed the over. Okay. Um, and also, I did it for a, a very very special reason. We got to do um, we got to do a, a little promotion with Texas Pete yesterday. It was awesome, um, and it was a, a home gate uh, giveaway. I don't know if you saw us in the in the Facebook group. Really cool thing. They they gave us a home gating kit um, that was complete with just like everything you would need to have just a bomb ass tailgate. So it's it's uh they had I'm trying to look at the actual picture right now because there's there's stuff on here Connor that I didn't even know they had. Of course you have the wing sauce, hot sauce. You have um, salsa that I didn't know about. I love. I'm salsa, a little bit upset Big Texas Pete because like I'm, yes I'm a huge salsa guy. Used to drink it in the mornings. Didn't mm-hmm. realize it had a lot of sodium in it. Regardless, um, Texas Pete dust. Texas Pete dust. Uh, masks, uh, we have, what do you call it, um, pop sockets, uh, koozies, apron, hats, everything you would possibly need for the sauces and, and dry rubs and all those things to make an incredible tailgate. Uh, all you have to do is send in a picture to us with the hashtag Homegate with Texas Pete for a chance to win. They gave them away yesterday. It, it was awesome. It was really cool. So I, I had, a I had some for breakfast this morning. Um, Pastor Patty Sue was all fired up about some stuff I'm not going to talk about, and I got all fired up in my mouth with some Texas Pete. Good boy. There you go. Only way to start the day. All right. For the first time in 1,071 days, Arkansas got to celebrate an SEC victory. The streak ends at 20. Go figure that Mississippi State, the roller coaster that is 2020, was perfectly... (laughs) exemplified by the week-to-week of yeah. going from beating the team with the nation's longest winning streak to defending national champs in their place one week to the On next On the week. road? Yeah. But, Connor, yeah. I was told it was it was unfathomable that they would be able to, one, win a game the whole year, but laughable especially was the word. be... Was it laughable? Laughable was the I word that was used I should have said that because unfathomable is a, tough, is a tough word for me to say every time. Um, but, yeah, laughable. They would even possibly win a game... Because they would never win a game. They hadn't won one in two years. And why would they win one on the road? Okay, so a little peel behind the onion here. This summer, when, you know, I do SDS, crystal balls, all that stuff, and I predict every single game of the entire SEC season. And I say this not to just, to just like, give myself credit, because I'm going to show you why I don't yeah. deserve full credit for this at all. But Don't do that. No, no, I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to come clean on yeah. this. I want to come clean on this. 
So this summer, when it, when when I do stuff like that, and you know I'm you know breaking down every single team, I had Arkansas going one and nine. The one game that I had Arkansas winning was against Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's in the preseason. When that came out, I'll say his name, whatever. Brandon Walker, host of Unnecessary Roughness, Barstool. Brandon Walker said goodbye forever, Connor. As a response to that, which um, th- just when I tweeted out the link, that started a, a little, little bit of like a back and forth, like a, what I thought was a playful back and yeah. forth between us. And I said, yeah, you know, I just I, I think that a team that doesn't really challenge Arkansas uh, at the line of scrimmage, which I don't necessarily think Mississippi State will do, I think that actually sets up well. I think this is going to be a pretty random year, and I think maybe in week two. Mississippi State doesn't have its identity figured out offensively just yet. And Everything you that, said was based in logic and, and and a thing of predicting based off of like an analysis and, and like a, like a, that you had like conviction from from saying it. It wasn't like yes. you were just like you know shooting your shot and, and just saying like something just to say something. Right. So that was my my logic for saying yeah. I thought Arkansas was going to beat Mississippi State. So then Brandon, who is Mississippi State through and through, that guy bleeds maroon. I mean, that that, that is who he is. Um, then said it was it was laughable that Arkansas would to think that Arkansas was anywhere close to beating an SEC team at all. And then yeah, at all. And then that then you know I pretty much ended it at hey like you're the gambling well, guy. Let's come up with a wager. And he didn't respond to that. But then it was taken to the masses. And then other people got involved in that, and I took a step back. So, Connor, you texted me, and, and, and he said, like, you know, it's like just catching some heat for the Mississippi State thing. He didn't ask for it, me to say anything, and he wasn't, he wasn't doing that. But I was like, first off, you know, this is, this is my podcast partner. This is, like, my fam. This is, this is my, my boy, and, you're, and I don't like people coming at him unless it's about Malik Willis takes. And so it's like, That's you don't, fair. You That's don't fair. like... Like this, especially this year, like it, it's so easy on social media to sit there and call people out for being wrong and all that kind of stuff. And for that to have happened about this game kind of frustrated me because it was like all these people were hating on you for something that is not that big of a deal. Like, the, like we're arguing the sixth and seventh best team in the SEC West, we thought going into the season, right? And so I made the comment to try to just take some heat off of Connor. I was like, man, Mississippi State fans upset about Connor. You're going to hate the fact that I think they're going to finish last in the division. And, like, that's stuff that we can, like, laugh at, be wrong about, and, and take, like, accept that we were wrong, like, if, if, if it happens. I, I said that Arkansas was going to beat Mississippi State preseason. I said they were going to win a couple of games. I thought they were going to be better than people thought. I, when that ended up becoming a thing, and I was, like, told, like, how, like, you know, I, I made the comment that I didn't know how Kylan Hill would be in this offense versus Rakeem Boyd. And, you know, Rakeem Boyd had four or five offensive linemen coming back. Both ended up getting hurt in this game, right. unfortunately, as well, which and was a bummer. That sucked. And so, but, like, I was like, you know, they have, like, better receivers at at, uh, at, at Arkansas. So I thought. And, like, they're not going to be in the same kind of offense. But, you know, there was just a lot more, I think, from that program that was, like, it seemed like more stability almost going into that than, than yeah. it, facing a global pandemic with no spring practice and a brand-new quarterback in Mike Leach's offense. And I, I was flat out told that I was an effing idiot for saying yeah, that. Yeah, we were called yeah. out on their two, podcast two as well. Two yeah. And, and uh, yeah, they brought it up on the podcast but without mentioning us by name. But it's, uh, here's my thing. Because anybody can get it. Anybody can get it if you, want, if you want to come. Like, if you seek if you seek me out, if you seek us out to start this shit, I, like I'm, this is not going to be a, a season-long thing 
But, like, I, I was fully ready to accept the fact that Mississippi State was probably going to beat Arkansas last night and, and we just move on. Because I remember, like, our, our buddy Ty Richardson, he's like, dude, what are you going to do if Arkansas beats Mississippi State? And I was like, I don't know. Probably go back to watching the Bama Texas A&M game. I, like, I, <laughs> like, I, so. The replay's on at 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, but to have, to have somebody of, like, with that kind of, brand behind him and and that kind of it just you know what the audacity that to sit here and try to talk about about uh, these two teams it was so mind-blowing to me that it was like why is this so important to you like why are you like why are you do this in the preseason and it came back to bite them yeah um so i'm i'm gonna admit this that like so the logic that i applied i uh, like i i applied to saying i think arkansas is going to cover heading into this week, I predicted Mississippi State to win. I predicted yep. Mississippi State to win this game by two touchdowns. So I sort of backed off my preseason prediction, saying that Arkansas, I thought Arkansas would cover. I thought Arkansas would keep this game close. And for the reasons that I kind of that I brought up, saying, look, I think Barry Odom's really good at his job. By the end of the night on Saturday, if you tuned in to SEC Alternate Network, whatever yep. that was, um, you saw kind of the stuff that we've been talking about with Barry Odom, that he was going to have a better defensive game plan for this Mississippi State air raid offense than LSU had. LSU was sort of the perfect storm. And all of a sudden, you see Arkansas come out with this plan, and we knew about it all week. You knew about yeah. it. They were going to have three up front. They were going to drop eight. That's what Barry Odom does at his best. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, and, and like... Everything. This, this is what. This is what I. I, I want to give you a shout out and start by saying this as I'm so damn proud of you for this because, like, you guys that know us, like, we're not always gonna be right. Like, there's gonna be times later in the year that I'm gonna be completely wrong about stuff that I've said. It wasn't that long ago. Week one happened. Okay, but like goose egg. Yeah, but like at the same time, and this is not me trying to like you know pat ourselves on the back, but I know how hard Connor works at, at like at what he does, and, and I know how many hours I devote to gambling research. And so it's like, none of this stuff, there's there's not anything we're gonna go on here and just say something to say something. And and, and if you if you seek, if, if, if you decide to start it on your own, like, this was not like provoked from any any of us. If you come at uh, us- He tweeted at me. If he you come at us, don't effing miss, dude. Don't effing miss, okay? And so that's, like- it, All right, that's a little no, too tame not. it's there. not, no, it's if you, okay, that is too tame <laughs> That's a really good point, but but like but don't but don't like because listen if this was like a national championship game and it had stuff riding on it, yeah man like I'm fired up everyone's gonna care. Don't come at me about the about the week two Mississippi State Arkansas matchup and then be this wrong about it. And and, and I just because I know I know that nothing you ever say on this podcast is is said just to be said. Everything you said is is said with conviction and, and you you're not always right. But like, it, I, I'm just I'm Usually proud of you not, for yeah. for the stuff you said and, and standing by it. And like, you know, in a, in a world where it's so much easier to hate on somebody for being wrong than than just like giving them a golf clap for being right, I'm 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 proud of you for for sticking by on this one. I bet Sam Pittman pulled off Dude. the old Billy Madison line. You know what it is? <laughs> At the end of the movie, when Billy Madison is about to get shot. Spoiler alert! And he looks up and he sees that uh, Steve. It's it's no, it, it's not Steve Buscemi. Who's yeah, Air Bear. The, yeah, Air Bear. Um, and he looks up and he says, "Man, am I glad I called that guy? That is Sam Pittman yep. to Barry Odom on this Sunday morning, just because Arkansas did things to KJ Costello that totally fooled him uh, through three interceptions. Joe Fouché had two of them and mm-hmm. was just dominant. Costello held to five point three yards per attempt. Again, like." 
a bummer that Kylan Hill yeah. went out after his first run in this game. That sucked. I, I think that was a tough adjustment. I think the safety valve that KJ Costello has been getting used to this offseason wasn't necessarily there. Is it a bit of a wash because Rakeem Boyd is out? You could make that case as well. But the interesting thing about watching this game, and by the way, Bumper Pool had 20 tackles. It, that kid is so... Said, listen, he, he's everything the, just like Dejon Harris was. Uh, it, it, just everywhere. I, he's he's got Nick Bolton characteristics oh uh, in him, and that's that's what Nick Bolton was in Barry Odom's defense. Uh, no, no, but not yet, not yet. Never say never. Yeah. This this is the Mike Leach roller coaster, and we now have this fascinating. It's also the Felipe Franks roller coaster. It is. It. Is. You, you know what? Numbers? You're exactly. You're exactly right. And oh, that was another thing that. That a certain um, uh, other podcaster called out was that quarterback has no chance against Mississippi well, State. Fair, though, but yeah. good for Felipe too. That's like kind of the lost in the shuffle thing. But you know we've been critical of Felipe. We know what his weaknesses are at this point, and he still had a couple of moments in that game where yeah. we're like, all right, that's that's peak Felipe. But this is the Felipe Franks roller coaster. He can have these moments like this. Seventy-one percent. Seventy-one percent. He was good. Touchdowns. I mean, like, and so, and you know, and, and this whole his rating is one hundred and fifty-eight point six. That is unbelievable. But um, yeah, you know, I, I think that like I, I said, I said this in the first quarter, and I, and I meant to tweet it out, but then I think I got caught up in the Auburn Georgia game, which was like Barry Odom is not being talked about enough on a national level of how good of a job he's doing as defensive coordinator. We get so yeah. caught up at like you know, I think I think we get so caught up at. Looking at these offensive coordinators, especially at like flashy, you know, group of five schools that are putting up a lot of points, or one hundred percent right, and yeah. then coordinators at at like big brands and, and bigger name schools because that's that's like the you know that's where our our eyes are usually drawn to. And so you talk about like, you know, dude at Clemson, you talk about guys like Sark, or you talk about um, Kevin Steele, and all these guys that they've been around for a while and, and all that kind of stuff. And but Barry Odom, the job he's done. With less for his entire career, it's it's been incredible. And, and and you look early on in this game, and it's like we saw we saw an Arkansas we saw a Mississippi State team last week go into LSU and punch them in the mouth over and over and over again, and and just I mean that it didn't stop. It just it, they had over 500 yards passing in the third quarter. Yeah, and you Barry look at what he's turning around is he's turning around his third FBS defense right now. Yeah, if you include Memphis as well, and, and there's he did. There's a toughness to it, which is which I think also is going. Um, I don't want to say underrated, but it's it's going kind of unnoticed. And, and like, this is twice now in two weeks that I've seen a team that is supposed to go in and and just flat out impose their will and, and bully this this Arkansas defense. Like like nobody respects like Arkansas for like you know the most part in in the SEC or nationally whatever. It They're is twice in the right now place. that I've seen on fourth and one, Georgia got stopped with all yep. that talent, yep. and then fourth and one last night in this when you had to have it, and they got stopped again. I kept wondering watching this game yesterday, and I know that uh, his team was playing at the same time, but I kept wondering to myself, what do you think Bo Pelini is going to think re-watching this game? This game and seeing this film if it comes across his yeah. desk. So I was like the most 1950s saying that I could possibly come up with there. Well, if it comes um, across his desk. <laughs> yeah, if it comes across his desk. I got the lunch. <laughs> seeing the blueprint for this, yeah. it's now painfully obvious. And if you're a defensive coordinator, you have seen what works against Leach, what doesn't work against mm-hmm. Leach. Now, this there's a little bit of this, like, and it, it, to a lesser degree, of the Kevin Steele 317 against LSU that we saw last year, that we saw up close and personal, mm-hmm. 
and how teams like Georgia and Clemson tried to replicate it and couldn't execute it. Not everybody is going to have the same sort of defense to be able to execute what Arkansas did. And that's a testament to Arkansas, who was really well prepared. And as I was kind of saying throughout this offseason, I think Barry Odom has been preparing for that Mississippi State air raid offense for months. And I think that he was ready to go. And I think that there are going to be teams that are going to try and do that, but it's not necessarily going to work because maybe they don't necessarily get enough pressure with their three guys up front. Maybe they have some breakdowns in coverage because KJ Costello, you know the volume is going to be there. But you, you watch that and you're like, all right, well, moving forward, this is going to be the Mississippi State experiment uh, experience. There are going to be games where they look really, really good, and it looks like KJ Castell gets into a rhythm, well, and then there are going to be other games where it's going to be frustrating, and it looks like he's he's just an interception waiting to happen. I think there's a happy medium that will happen as well. And, and I think that, you know, it, the, the thing that it's it's so much more prevalent, I think, this year is, is that, you know, it, it's because of the way 2020 is and, and like, the nature of how this schedule is playing out in 10 conference games. Like, we are reacting a lot. Like, we, we're reacting a lot. I was talking to, like, my buddy Bill Mannis the other day, and I forgot who the the reference was even to, but he was like, yeah, man, or it's just week one. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? Like, there's there's <laughs> still time to, to, you know, figure out consistencies. And listen, Mike Leach is a good coach. Mike Leach will, will, will get this figured out. If you go back, and I've said this repeatedly, like, you know, if you go back and look at Mike Leach's track record, you know, we, we give so much of a bump to his career coaching because of, like, that win against Texas in 2008 was a big one. The win against USC. Like, he, he's gone Michael off and knocked off. Like, yeah, yeah, like and, and he's won some big games and, and done on the national stage. And, and he's he's won, you know, a, 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 some, some, like, top ten games, I guess, as well. But the overwhelming majority of those games, he, he's lost. And, and, and I think that, like... You look at his schedule, like, this This should be expected. Like, Mike, a Mike Leach team has never gone, like, you know, they've never run the table. Um, but, you know, I think they'll be fine. They'll be back. He's a very good coach. He'll, he will figure out, like, how to move forward from this. And, and I think that, you know, they, they still have – I don't think it was a fluke what happened against LSU week one, necessarily. And I think that – No, with, I don't either. With this either, offense, yeah. like, they're still going to be able to be in, you know, every game or a lot of games. And I think there will be a lot to learn from this. But this was surprising. One last thing on Sam Pittman that I want to say, because if you're an Arkansas fan, you watched two years of Chad Morris Mm -hmm. not be able to win an SEC game. Struggled to win a group of five game, in fact. Uh, Several group of five games, I, I should say. And you see the direction of this program. And it's interesting because... He's, he's not on this guy's level or anywhere close to that. I'm mm-hmm. not saying this. But, you know, there, there's a little bit of this Coach O stuff with Sam Pittman in that the move was criticized because of his background. Yeah. And we're like, this guy, this guy coaches in they the trenches. A he's face. a position coach. Yeah, exactly. He coaches in the, in the trenches. He's a position coach. He's a great recruiter. He's not a head coach. He doesn't necessarily have that experience. And then you're like, well, you look at his staff and the guys that he has surrounded himself with and the way that he has empowered them and the way that kids react to him. And that, that I think, is the, the, the biggest thing that, that Sam Pittman is going to try and build on. Are, are those key principles, it is very much the, the Coach O model and what he is trying to do. Now, it's a long way off from being able to do it yeah. consistently and to get on that level. But if you're an Arkansas fan, you're feeling so much better about this hire after the first two weeks of yeah. football and what looked like just an absolute gauntlet schedule for this year one coach, this guy who had never been an FBS coordinator, is now kind of making people rethink the way that we were evaluating him. And I tell you what, man, like for me, like I, I was never going to doubt Sam Pittman, but I was never also going to be like give him like credit for like this guy's going to take this Arkansas program to the new level. It's wait and see. But he's he's such a. I've never heard of one, th- of one coach. 
say a bad thing, one player say a bad thing about Sam Pittman. And, and, and I love the fact that when he's at, he took the job at Arkansas and he was so excited. And you could tell, you could see in his face, like it, it kind of meant, I'm not, I mean, not as much maybe as, as the Coach O thing in, in the state of Louisiana, but you could tell it meant a lot to him because, like, you know, coming back home there and, and, and saying, like, he's going to retire there. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 like, the fact that he, when you can genuinely care about what you do, and, and like who it impacts, and, and we, we said this in the spring, we heard from, from our people around the administration and, and the athletic department that he had, he had just, ah, brothed, breathing, breathed, sure. breathed. Um, Broth. But he just brought a new energy to that entire, like, you know, department, not department, but you know what I mean? Like, he, the entire program. And then not just, we heard it from people outside of the football program, like, like, the women's basketball coach, the men's basketball coach, like uh, like other people that he's in contact with constantly, like from that administration, that are like he's just such a a, a lovable guy and, and he has so much energy, so much positive energy, and and like you know, like him him like him getting phone calls from from you know his former players at Georgia getting drafted in the first round of the offensive line, and and like how much you can see it meant to him, like like he was like the, his guys were getting theirs. I, I I really like Sam Pittman and I hope he has success nine games out of ten a year. But um, yeah. I, I just it was it was cool to see, and I, and I tell you what, man, this is for Arkansas fans especially. Like, th- th- there's just no way to describe the feeling of, of like getting over this hump, and and like when you have like a new guy come in, and you can kind of tell it's like like you you I think everyone wants to instantly believe in him. Like everyone wanted to believe in Chad Morris, like what he did, yep. what he did at uh, what do you call it um, at Auburn? I mean, sorry, at Clemson. Um, but like, it's got to feel really good. To get this off your back because Arkansas, as much as we've like made fun of them for the past couple of years, that's a that's a very proud program and a very for proud sure. tradition, and and it's got to feel even better that uh, what Chad Morris did for Auburn last night. Let's talk about Sam Pittman's former team, Georgia, especially in the offensive line. That was a beatdown. That was a beatdown in the 125th edition of the Deep South's <sighs> oldest rivalry. Man, I mean, came out and uh, as as a as the great Gus Malzahn once said, whip the dog crap out of them. That was, I, I thought that was a, a statement that Georgia needed to make. Stetson Bennett the fourth, everyone's favorite DUI lawyer. <laughs> Legend! Not mailman. Not mailman. DUI lawyer. We're sticking with that. He gets the start. I was dead wrong about the entire JT Daniels situation. Yeah. That was my worst call of the oh, weekend. I was wondering what you said about more. that, yeah. A little more on that later, just because I was saying, I, I said, Kirby, you got one choice. Start JT Daniels. If you need to bring in Stetson Bennett, you can do so. But start the guy that you went out and recruited because you wanted him that badly now that he is cleared to play. But apparently there's some discrepancy about, you know, whether or not he's physically ready just because he was cleared. And, you know, we, we had we talked to some people as well who were like, yeah, there's maybe some stuff with the, the personal doctor not fully being on board. Whatever the case Stetson Bennett came out and played well. It was a rough start for him. I was ready for like 15 punts, and that didn't end up happening. Made some big-time throws. Some of the throws that he was making to, to, to Jackson and to Pickens, and we're seeing this like, oh, hey, this is the Todd Munkin offense. Yeah. This is kind of what we were expecting. Georgia gets after it up front. Zamir White looked fantastic. Yeah, that so kid, happy for that he kid, is, the way the that he was running that hard. He was hitting, he was hitting a stride. And the offensive line really played well, and then you can't say uh, enough about the defense. But I, I come back to oh, this. Oh no, no, this you belief. can, and I, and and I will. But keep going. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I was dead wrong about about Stetson Bennett and for being one of the many people who has underestimated him throughout his life. And you hear his story. Kirby said afterwards, he's he's the guy moving forward. And quite frankly, I don't blame him because when you hold up in a prime time slot against the highest paid defensive coordinator in the country, Kevin Steele, that Auburn defense, I think is going to be really good this year. And look like that, yeah. You know what? You deserve to be considered the guy. I so. I, I, I promise this is not going to be a podcast of, of patting ourselves on the back, but I, I will say this, and, and, and you know you know the phrase window dressing you always hear, like from defensive coordinators when you, when you got all these guys in motion and you got stuff, stuff to distract you from, from what is actually going to be happening, what is actually... Matt Canada. You know, oh, God, God, nightmares. Um, you know, Auburn, after that week one went at Kentucky, and you want to give him credit, and I, and I went out here and I said the thing about you know, Bo Nix. Bo Nix having 218 consecutive passes without an interception, setting an Auburn record, is an impressive stat. I still think Seth Williams is a monster at receiver. I, I like all these things, but when you, when you look back, I, I kept thinking to myself, I was like, I don't want to sound like I'm hating on Auburn just to hate on Auburn, but it's because there's got to be some validity, validity to it. And you really look at, like, like I think what, what we said, or what I said the, the prediction was going to be, was like, they were, they were outgained. They were held the, f- the second fewest first downs of any team in the SEC in week one against Kentucky. Kentucky had three turnovers in that, in that fake punt. I, I just don't think that Georgia was going to make those same mistakes. And, and I kept saying this, guys, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying this to, to pat myself on the back, but I'm saying it for everyone else to start listening and, and have these expectations moving forward when you face this Georgia team. It doesn't matter who their quarterback is. It doesn't matter at all. Like, and, and, I, and I cannot stress that enough. They could put, I don't know. Like, I mean, they've got a DUI lawyer out there. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. Unless he's throwing a pick six over and over and over again, and, and, and they and just puts them behind the eight ball. But, like, this Georgia defense, I said it all offseason. Like, I, I said, who is going to score 20 points against this Georgia defense? And, and looking at the, the numbers going into it, because, of course, Auburn fans were kind of frustrated for the second straight week. We all, all pecking against them and all that kind of stuff. This is the fifth game, or this is the sixth game that, that Kirby has faced Gus. He's 5-1 against them. 5-1, right? This is the fourth game that he has held Auburn under 10 points. In the, like, I mean, Gus was on offense. And, and, and there's just stuff that... The matchup. It's the matchup. You're it, exactly right. It, it's the window dressing that Auburn does and how disciplined Georgia is. Right. How Georgia doesn't get distracted by any of any that of stuff it. that's going on behind the line of scrimmage. And it's like, you, you now see it. You, you can perfectly there's, see why they're able to get into the backfield and make these plays and how none of that really gets in the way of, of what they try to do. You know, Auburn didn't light the world on fire on offense the first week necessarily, but I, I expect them to be a... a a good offensive team just with the nature of a Gus Malzahn team. Um, in this game, you saw very early that, that Auburn was going to have to put this game on Bo Nix's shoulders, and it got uncomfortable to watch very quickly. Because yeah. I, I just, from the first quarter, I was like, this is over. This is absolutely over because he's not going to be able to do anything against his defense. And, and you, look at the, you look at the play chart. These are the drives in the first half. Three plays, one yard. Three plays, one yard. Five, yard, five plays, 22 yards. Um... Three plays, four yards. Eleven plays, sixty-five yards. That only resulted in a field goal. One play, negative four yards in the half. They had eighty-nine yards of offense in the first half. They were down by three scores. And this defense, again, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is because you you go back and look at the numbers. Like like any football game, I I would expect Georgia with the talent they have to put up at least twenty points. I just I would expect yeah. that to happen. And when you when you look at it and you realize that there are now two teams. There are two teams that Georgia has played in the past 
uh, 16 games, dating back to the start of last year, where they have allowed more than 20 points. That was LSU, the most prolific offense we've ever seen, and South Carolina, who took a pick six and two overtimes to do it. You are not going to score on this defense. There may be, maybe Bama will. Maybe Clemson could. Maybe Ohio State. This is the best defense that we have seen in a decade in, in college football, and it's not going to let up anytime soon. Let's talk Bo Nix because no. I, think, I think Auburn fans – we're, we're frustrated watching their year-two quarterback play. And for those who were critical of him this offseason, uh, critical maybe isn't the right word, skeptical yeah. of him and, and how much he really progressed in that freshman season, you kind of saw a lot of those concerns back. resurface. Uh, our, our editor, Chris Wright, made this comp, and, and I like it. I think it's a really good one, and I think it's something that's that we even saw in week one. It's, it's kind of the, the same thing that we, we brought up last week. He's the shortstop who always has to throw on the run. Man, there are so many times when I want to just see him set his feet and step into a throw. And and Herbie called him out on the broadcast. And and you know what? Herbie Herbie sees things that, like, he he saw this one thing with with Seth Williams when he, like, bobbled a pass. That it was the smallest thing that I have no idea how Herbie saw it in real time. And I was, like, I said it out loud to to Lauren. I'm like, how did Herbie see that? Like, he's so good at these things. But Herbie had this, this moment where he's like, Man, just step up in the pocket. Not everything is a rollout to the yeah, right. Yeah, like, look he, at the pocket. It's like he he gets he gets happy feet, and that's the the thing that with the amount of snaps that we saw him take as a freshman, mm-hmm. you didn't think that you would continue to see that with him in year two. And I understand. Look, all the points that you just made about the Georgia defense, it's a different beast. They're valid. Yeah, but but you really you saw a lot of those things against Kentucky too. You, you did, and you know you you see Bo Nix in the areas that he struggles. Watch a quarterback like Kyle Trask. And watch how he's going to handle this Georgia defense when that matchup happens. And watch how differently the footwork in the pocket is and how much that dictates what that offense is able to do. Bo Nix gets to this point where he essentially eliminates half the field. Because when he runs back like that, and he can only throw to half the field, everything's got to be coming across. Receivers got to break out their route, break off their routes. Yeah. And it's like, depending on Seth Williams going up and making a play, or somebody somehow losing track of Anthony Schwartz. In the front or back corner open. of the end zone, or on the right on the sideline. Every, it, it, you're right. Yeah, That's it's a good point. Thing. It's weird. And it's frustrating. Yeah. It's so frustrating to watch because it's like, I, I get it. Georgia's so good, and they're so fast in the yeah. front seven, and they confuse you with with what they do to bring pressure. But at, at at a certain point, it's like, man, you have to be able to step up, and you can't be thrown back from 15 yards behind the no. line of scrimmage every single time. God, he did something in the first half. It, it, real quick, I do want to say, <clears throat> like, because I don't want to hate on Bo, Bo Nix, I hate on Bo Nix. He threw a wheel route in the in the second half that was a perfect pass. It reminded me of the Jake Fromm throw to DeAndre Swift in the 2018 SC Championship game. Oh, yeah. um, and I think it says a lot about his talent that I compared him to Jake Fromm. But anyway, uh, he, he, he does stuff on the field that we've talked about before, how it's like, like every once in a while he'll do stuff that's like amazing or put something right on the money. Um, there was a point in the first half where he was so frustrated because he kept getting bottled up. And, and some of it his own doing. Like some of his own doing, like you just said. And he came off, and he's like, the Bo Nix is, is really frustrated on the sideline. He's ripped his helmet off, and he's got eye black everywhere. And I just started laughing because I was like, dude, like, that, like I get it. I, I get the whole, like, like if somebody played baseball, I, I definitely saw all the people with all the eye black just smeared everywhere, like the, like the overdoing of the eye black and the wrist tape and all this. And, and that's all well and good. But if you're, like, like there's a difference between, like, looking like a, like, like a ball player and, and then just going out there and performing. And I think against this defense especially, there was nothing that Bo Nix was going to do that was going to stifle this team. Just, there just wasn't. There wasn't. And, and, like, 
I, I think that it's like you said last week about Georgia's defense with, with Felipe Franks. They were never going to struggle with Felipe Franks for 60 minutes. Georgia was never going to struggle with Bo Nix for 60 minutes. They weren't going to struggle with him for 10 minutes. And, and it 3. was 3.5 yards per attempt. I 3.5. I tell you what, I, I want to say one last thing, and I and I'm you guys are if you're already not tired of me saying this on defense, you're gonna get tired of it because because I'm just bottom line. This this is I I'll say it right now. I think Georgia is going to play for a national championship this year. I do, mm. I, I, and I've said that before in the preseason. And I know that it's preseason, so like maybe didn't carry as much weight. We're changing the week one, the week one post mortem after watching the Arkansas. I didn't. I didn't. That, think what? But there, there was at least there was at least some skepticism about oh, yeah. hey, you know this, this this pick not looking as good. But I, I agree with you that they looked way way more national title worthy against Auburn than they did against Arkansas. Go figure. Think about how bad they looked at Arkansas. They won by four scores. Again, yeah. like and I said this like this is what I've been trying to like base this off of is who is going to score on this defense? They might lose to Bama. Like they might, they might. Like and I'm not even convinced on that. But like last night, there was a play in the second quarter and. And I, it, it was it was the most beautiful single play of football I've seen all year and and, oh, wow. and all day yesterday. And it was Auburn had Auburn had the ball. They were driving. They were inside the red zone. And Anthony Schwartz came in motion. And whoever was on Anthony Schwartz, I can't remember his name right now, was was following him because they were in man. Comes across the field and all this window dressing. And and as Anthony Schwartz passes Bo Nix, they obviously they snap the ball and they get the ball out to him in the flats. This kid is sifting through the garbage, like it's like behind the uh, what do you call it, like the linebackers, all that kind of stuff. They they have like an inadvertent like pick set up for him. He gets he sifts through, sets the edge, stops Anthony Schwartz, who's the fastest man in college football. Had to run, had to follow him all the way across the field pre-snap. Sets the edge, gets a one-yard loss. Every single player, they showed the angle from the sideline. Every single player from Georgia was in the correct position of what they were doing, what they were supposed to do. They do this on every single play. And, and as somebody that has watched Kirby Smart play, you know, coach the defense of, of his favorite team for a long time, there were some, you know, some games that were confusing. It, it was, I missed that so much. I missed that, yeah. that just that defensive, like, oh, God. It's a stability. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's yeah. suffocating. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I didn't realize how disciplined Georgia really was until we got to see them up close and personal. Uh, when we were there last year in yeah. Athens for that Mizzou game, and you you just see the discipline, and it's just it's off the charts. It's incredible to watch. Uh, by the way, that Richard LeCount hit, whew, that targeting that he got tossed for. Go figure though that like Georgia just doesn't really skip a beat. Preseason yeah. All American is out for the second half. Nope, doesn't matter. Meanwhile, Auburn. Yeah, I'm, it, I was it, it, was, no, it, it looked like a mouse like that. Uh, meanwhile, Auburn loses Smoke Monday, and I had an Auburn fan texting me, and he's like. As soon as he was out, it was over. And, and sure enough, you know they were able to to, to attack downfield. I don't know if that was the the only thing that was gonna, you know, keep Auburn in the game. But you see how it impacts one defense as mm-hmm. opposed to the other. A and M, Alabama, another year and another Bama route of A and M. Look, I've been critical. I've been critical of him. And Saturday, Saturday echoed a lot of the things I've been feeling about Jimbo Fisher this entire offseason. And into, into this game, when, you know, we kind of joke around with some of the over-unders and stuff. And like, we like to have fun with that. I set the over-under for minutes that AM would be leading in this game at four. Because yeah. AM in the first 120 minutes of football that it played against Alabama during the Jimbo Fisher era led for four minutes and 16 seconds. There is now 180 minutes of football between those two teams. Three games. And they have led for exactly four minutes and 16 seconds. And to me... 
I, I watched this game yesterday, and there are moments where you're like, all right, you know, Jimbo's dialing it up. Like, they got Aeneas Smith involved in, in the tiptoe play that he makes in the sideline. A&M's, you know, responding in the first half. And then, like, that's it. And it's just like Bama runs away with it in the second half. There's no sort of, like, different ways to dial up offense in the second half. And it was it was a route. And we knew, we knew that Bama was going to cover and, and win this game comfortably and really oh, wasn't much we? of a debate. Yes, we did. We talked about that a lot throughout this entire week of, like, yeah, the spread came out and it was three scores, and I'm still taking Bama yeah. to cover this because even if Bama isn't perfect, which Bama wasn't defensively, this is a game that yeah. Saban's going to go back on the film and be like, hey, we need to be able to clean this up, this up, and this up before Georgia especially. But you look at that game and you're like, yeah, Bama still won with ease. And I have something that I want to say about Jimbo. But, 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 but before I do that, I want to give you a chance to kind of like, is that, is that a fair thing to be at least frustrated if you're an A&M fan? The fact that like you see the difference in talent so much in a yeah. game like that. And, uh, you know, honestly, and I'm not trying to say this in an arrogant way. I think sometimes I have a bad... Um, it's hard for me to empathize with that because I just this was this was never gonna this was never gonna be a thing. They were never gonna win. So like yeah, well that's like that's, that's part of that the problem. Probably feels like that's an issue. Part of the like yeah for sure. But um yeah I mean I, I, yeah I guess I would be frustrated. I, like because at this point and I said this earlier like like in the week the line was seventeen. People were talking about how crazy that was. And you know, Colin Wilson from Action Network is a guy that I love, and, and he is so good at what he does with like with gambling. I freaked out because I saw his picks on Friday, and he had A and M plus seventeen and the under, and then it was like, and the under was fifty two. Bama covered it by themselves, and so I was like, oh no, like, you know, maybe there's something to be said. Like Jimbo's going to work something up, and maybe we're overreacting. But this is now the fourth year in a row that that Saban has played Jimbo Fisher, and and he's beaten him by seventeen, twenty two, and nineteen points, and. So it's been by about three scores every year. This is just kind of what happens. And, you know, it, it, for, it, for whatever reason, the first quarter, there's, it's like a little dicey for a minute maybe. But the game is never really in doubt. And, yeah, I would, I would be frustrated. Yeah, sure. So my, my big thing Mike is Mike Elko like, needs to get, get his ass chewed as well, sir. He does. He does. Mike Elko did not have a good game, especially in the second half. That was, that was an, alarming, an alarming performance, despite the fact that I think their defensive line's actually really good. I think they get after yeah. it. I think that's that's going to kind of lead into what I want to talk about with Florida later on in that matchup coming up this this weekend. But you know, with Jimbo, I just think we need to stop making excuses for him. I'm, I'm done with it because it's year three. When you're paid seventy-five million dollars guaranteed, yeah. and you're able to retain your coordinators, and you've got all the resources in the world for recruiting and stuff like that, like compare some of this stuff side oh. by side with compare it with with Gus, compare it with Coach O, yep. even compare it with Saban because Saban yeah. inherited a program that was on sanctions. And you compare the start. Shoot, compare it to Kevin Sumlin, man. It's not even as good as Kevin Sumlin. And you can say, oh, yeah, oh. he had Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel was a three-star recruit who had never played college football before and came in Kevin Sumlin's system. And Kevin Sumlin's system with Cliff Kingsbury made him better. Yeah. And so you look at what Jimbo has done with Kellen Mond, who is the most experienced quarterback in the SEC. And I thought Kellen Mond was okay yesterday. The number were a little bit inflated at the end when he's yes. just throwing and doing that stuff. But at the same time, it's like you're two and seven in true road games now in year three with all Not of those resources. Not against teams, but in true road games. Just true and, road and games. And i tell you That's what, at it. least with someone, you, we make fun of the, the way he fell, uh, trailed off in November all the time, but at least with someone, they were in it. Like, at least with someone, you saw you saw your logo 
like you know on the screen when they talk about like the top four teams in the in the cultural playoff or something like like at least at least going in November you were in the top ten. This is and I tell you what it would be, it would be easier it'd be an easier pill to swallow if if they hadn't just beaten Vanderbilt at home by five points in year yeah, three that's, that's with part Jimbo of, that's Fisher part. and I, and I think that like it's still a long season but. Florida is a different animal, and if you couldn't stop Bama for anything yesterday, and I don't know how you're going to be able to stop that Kyle Trask offense, but I, I, I'll just say, with with Jimbo, I, I brought this up. I don't think he is, especially now looking at it, I don't think I was wrong to put all the blame on Jimbo for what happened at Florida State. They, they've got just some some really foundational issues with that program. Yeah, they do. Obviously. They definitely do. But the, the, like, I'll just never forget like hearing from like my buddy Tyler Huck and people close to that program what like like the the character stuff they were saying about Jimbo was so surprising because it was like where is this coming from like why is he like the the minute he was criticized was the minute he he turned around and started gaslighting the program and saying like I, well that's because I need more money for facilities I need more money for my for this it's always it's, excuses it's like, it's I told always you, excuses. I said this like a couple years ago and it's like I I, I don't think I, listen anybody that wants to willingly come to the SEC West when Saban's there and now LSU and and like it's it's gonna be it is the toughest division in football, and people keep coming to it because you get you get all these opportunities and and, and, extra, and all the money and all that kind of stuff. I same thing with Brett Bielema, same thing with Jimbo Fisher. Why the hell would you choose to leave the Big Ten West or the ACC to come to come to the the, the SC West? It's just I, I it's it's the toughest division in football, and I can't believe A and M paid him that much money, but you know, and then made that stupid plaque about national champs. And, and they, listen, there's still time he could get there, but I think we are seeing, like. A and M is who who A and M is. Like they, they, this is what it is. Like this is this is who they are as a program. He is one and six against the likes of Alabama, Auburn, and LSU. And you could argue that one win, the seven overtime game against LSU, probably shouldn't happen. So, I, I I'm watching this game and what did I tell you, you know, beforehand? What, what was the text I sent you right before the game started? I don't know. You got me thrown off. Sorry, my bad. I, I said I said I, I could be wrong about this. I've been wrong sometimes this year. I have a feeling that we're going to run these people out of the effing building. And sure enough, that's yeah. what happened. You know what sucked? What's the up? fact that Gary Danielson, in the middle of the third quarter, and this isn't like a, a ripping on Gary Danielson thing. That's not really the point of this. They hit a, a field goal late in that game. And he's like, this is just about getting the guys to feel good again. This is about getting, getting A&M feeling, yeah. feeling good, like they got something out of that drive to like make it a, a – you know, three-score game or whatever it was. And then when Aeneas Smith has that garbage-time touchdown, he's like, this is about feeling good getting on the plane. Man, that sucks. That absolutely sucks. The fact that that's still being said about your program in year three when you paid someone $75 yeah. million guaranteed and you have the resources. And I know the division's tough. I know the division's tough. But if you look at what Coach O did, what Gus Malzahn did taking over a program that didn't win a single SEC game the year before, and you look at what Nick Saban did taking over a program that had those NCAA sanctions, it's frustrating. And I, I feel terrible for AM fans because we have this thing like in college football where we feel like we can only talk about if a guy is in the hot seat, if he has a realistic buyout, with the exception of Auburn. That's, that's like the only case. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. But like, I'm not saying that Jimbo Fisher is going to get fired. I'm not even saying that he's yep. a bad coach. But the lack of progression is just alarming. And I'm going to say all this now because I have something later on that's going to contradict a little bit of what I'm saying yep. in this moment. But like, that, that, to me, watching that game was just so evident. And if I'm an A&M fan, I'm wondering what these next three, four years are going to look like. I really, really am. Well, I think point. also part of it is you got to think about this, too. At the time of the hire, at the time of the hire, 
this is a time before Tua was was doing Tua things at Bama, and, and for you know Joe Burrow was doing stuff at LSU. There's a lot of guys I think that maybe came in and, and thought they could win with their style of football because it matched up well with what those teams were doing at the time. Like you're, I just don't see A and M being able to stay with a team that's putting up 52 points. You know what I mean? Like, like, and that happens against L- LSU. Put up 50 against them last time they played. They haven't put up 52. Uh, I think they put up 47 like last year. Like, I, I don't see the the style of of, of football that, that these teams are playing. It's, this isn't working. No. Jimbo's got to surrender control of yeah. that offense and go and go in a different direction. He's got to be willing to do what Coach O did, he which was say the defense more than anything, man. That that is well, that is well. But I'm 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 a little bit more alarmed by the fact that they can't scheme receivers open, and that I, seems so difficult. So I think that's kind of a discredit to how Alabama played on defense, for one. And, and that, 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 yeah, that, I'm not saying just this game. I'm not saying just this game. I'm saying against but good competition. I will say that like the problems that I've seen with them, for the most part, are are defense. Like I mean, like you, like that Auburn game last year in A and M, you're behind the entire game, like the entire game against a, f- a freshman quarterback, and, and and like, again, when you were playing, like they beat LSU and they put it on a damn cup, like well, I don't understand, I still never understood that, but like, then you go back into Baton Rouge the following year and you lose fifty to seven, like you are routinely giving up half a hundred to these good these good programs, and we talk about how great Mike Elko is. Or you do? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely have, have been on the, the pro Mike Elko train just yeah. because I think that his, I think up front what, what he does to take away teams running game is, is usually successful, and I mm-hmm. think that, that there's something to be said for that. But I agree. I mean, they, they have issues across the board, and this, this is going to be really difficult to get to 6-4 to and four or 7-3, and three, which many people yeah. are saying that was what, what the expectation should be for A&M. This was a New Year's Six yeah. type of year for A&M that. it was supposed to be, and I, I would not bet on that. The opt-outs have not no. helped at all. I tell you what, the second touchdown they had that, that schemed open, I don't even know what our defense is doing, but like that was able to scheme them open was good. And I tell you what, next time we talk about Bama, we're going to say some positive stuff about Bama too. Yes, Mac Jones, uh, the Heisman race is looking a little bit intriguing. Waddle, he's a freak. He's a freak. And John Mechie being the third guy, that that was a scary sight for for SEC defensive coordinators to see the way that John Mechie was able yep. to get open like that. Oh boy, that uh, they have three dudes. They have three legit dudes. Devontae Smith hasn't really even like it hasn't even gone come out yet. yet. Yeah, it's I, crazy. I just it's crazy. Mac Jones. It's at some point people are gonna have to start saying that, that like and, and and respecting the fact that. When you talk about how good this team is and giving Mac Jones credit, because I don't he's know if fun. you guys are starting to he's see it. He's really fun. He's got some swagger to him. He, he is does. really fun. He's, he, like, he, I've noticed this since 2017 because of this damn handshake video with Damian Harris. Kid's got some swagger. He's got some juice. And the fact that we can't just – at some point you're going to have to admit that – not you, but I'm saying people are going to have to admit he's a good quarterback. He's actually a very good quarterback, and it's not just because he has the best receivers in the country. But we'll, we'll yeah. settle that another time. He's very good. South Carolina and Florida, the Muschamp Bowl, the Spurrier Bowl, whatever you want to call it. Um, by the time that we're, we're going to be finished talking about this game, over or under 1.5 Mike Bobo plays do you think have been run? Wait, what? By the time that we're finished talking about this game, yeah. oh over my or God. under 1.5 yes. Mike Bobo plays. How in the world do you have that lack of urgency at the end of the game when you're down two touchdowns and you take seven minutes off the clock and you're winding the play clock down to three? I know that Mike Bobo hated on the hurry-up offenses and he said that it was a little bit gimmicky and that it was taking advantage too much and it was leading to sloppy well, This whole football. computer fad dies out. Oh You'll my see. Gosh. I, I, like, poor, poor South Carolina fans. That was awful. Awful. I, I, does, does Will Muschamp know... 
the the value in points, how much a field goal is? I think he thinks a field goal can be worth eight points. I think it fluctuates. It's like it's like the the shot in like a Jock James or whatever it was, like the Rock and Jock from MTV back in the day. It's, it, like, it's a distance hey, thing. Here's yeah. a fifty point shot. If you if you shoot it from here, it's worth seventy. Like, yep. Whatever. It is it is very odd. I think he thinks that fluctuates. But yeah, I said this the other day. Like it, this was this was two things the entire time. It was sloth at the DMV in Zootopia. Like just like no, no hurry, no hurry at all. I've no, have you ever seen Zootopia? Haven't. No. You're an idiot. Uh, it's so good, you'll love it. It's it's such a good movie. Um, anyway, and the other one was Rose's mom from the Titanic as the boat's singing. Just like, not a care in the world. We'll get there when we get there. Like, what is going on? Are I you was, trying to win the game? Because you damn sure are trying ever, to ruin the cover or the spread. Have you ever been going somewhere and you have to be there at a specific time, but you're going with somebody, Yep. right? Like, maybe it's somebody in your household or something like that. If you have a sibling who's really pokey, and you're just like, hey, hey, like we have to be there in five minutes. You can't just be getting you've dressed. Every time to plan something with me, yeah. You, this you is true. It. I was, I was gonna kind of just beat around the bush with that, but uh, you went there. <laughs> um, this, this was like that for South Carolina, yeah. like watching the end of this game. And I don't want to discredit Florida because, like, I, I think Florida, from an offensive standpoint, we can get to that in a minute. Did enough to be able to put themselves in that position to mm-hmm. be up two touchdowns like that. But like, Mike Bobo is actually doing some good things offensively. Yeah. But then when you see the mental errors like that, and there's no way that you can go back and watch that and say that was anything but a mental error, where when it's like it's third and two with like a minute and a half left, and they're running the ball up the middle trying to get the first down. It's like, bro, you're in four-down territory. Act like it. What yeah. the, like South Carolina could have scored a touchdown there, which they didn't do because Colin Hill, oof, um, that, that overthrow of Shai Smith when he could have just Good run in the Lord. touchdown, really bad. I'm convinced that if they would have scored a touchdown there and gotten the onside kick, they wouldn't have had enough time to score a touchdown. Like, that's how slow and deliberate they were. That was horrible. That's coaching. Like, that is 100% coaching and not being able to get plays out. That's not having any sense of urgency and understanding the moment. What Muschamp played to play in a close... He played for the close loss. He played so that his team would cover, and he didn't want his quarterback to throw a late pick six and not cover. I I don't know if that's... You can't tell me... that was horrible. I don't think he's playing to cover the spread. I, I don't think he's playing to cover the spread. Then why did he kick a field goal in that spot early? I don't to make it a three-score game. But it was a three-score game already. I, I'm not going to try to like like hone in on his logic because it's the second week in a row he's done it, and and Will Muschamp <sighs> knows more about football than me. But this was that was perplexing for sure. I, I don't think he was coaching just to cover the spread. I don't think he gives a about the spread. He was coaching it. for a close loss. He was he, coaching yeah, for a close I could, loss. I could see that. I, what, James what I Franklin is, used to do that all it, the time. I hated it. Yeah. Did, did it have? And this might have just been like an irrational feeling for me, which is fine. But did it have the feeling that when it was happening? Because I saw I saw videos from his press conference this week where he was like, like scoffing at the the, the hint of of what, like people disagreeing with his decision on the field goal. Um, did it have the feeling while they were running these plays that it was like those two that everyone was like, hey, what are you doing? They were like like had this attitude of everyone else is wrong, we're right. <laughs> it's like this whole, you know what I mean? It was so bizarre. It was just, it was so it's terrible. Bizarre. It, was like, it was awful. You know, at one point late in the game, because they kept saying, like, South Carolina's got some momentum, and, you know, it's two-score game, it's a lot can happen. And part of that's the broadcaster trying to build up, you know, what, what could possibly happen. But at the same time, this Florida defense is trash, and they they're, they weren't able to stop them for most of the day. And so it's like, you know, like, well, I mean, they were. But like I'm saying, like, from a yard standpoint, they were still getting yards. And I don't understand how, because Shai Smith is, is the only guy on that team they were giving up yards to a guy who was projected like a third-string running back at the start of the year. 
Is by the way, is is the only reason that South Carolina like slowing things down and not moving fast is because they realize if they throw the ball, they need to throw it to Shy Smith and they need to actually be able to give Shy Smith a breather because he's the Maybe. only guy on the field. He's the only receiver who can catch a who can catch a football for I, the team. It blo- yeah, for real. It blows my mind though that like like they were saying that like within with less than four minutes ago, then less than two minutes ago, they're like, get up to the pl- get up to the line of scrimmage and run the play. Like they're they're snapping the ball at nine seconds. Like I, I just don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They got under three. They were getting under three with like a couple minutes left, and you're just like, what in the world are you are you possibly thinking right now to think that you have enough time to be able to act like this? This is this is just the most negligent clock yeah. management situation I've ever seen. I feel bad because you know what, Kevin Harris, man, that dude runs hard. He yeah. runs really hard. Two hundred twenty-five pound back. We talked a lot about Marshawn Lloyd and the injury and what that was going to mean for for South Carolina, but like. South Carolina has like a couple pieces that are that are all right, and you just feel like, okay, if they're going to continue to do things like that to shoot themselves in the foot, yeah. they have no chance. They just have no chance. By the way, the Kyles for Heisman, they Florida needs to get out ahead of that right now. The Kyles for Heisman campaign. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Pitts now has six receiving touchdowns. Last year, no SEC tight end had more than six receiving touchdowns all season. It took all him, season. He had he had five touchdowns all last year, like in a in a what is it? I guess a 13-game schedule. It took him 75 minutes to get five this year. It's Trask impossible. and TDs. Trask and oh, TDs. Um, I, 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 it was it was funny to me watching like the mental gymnastics of, of Georgia fans going to it. Now they're a little bit more confident with Stetson Bennett somehow, but like like going into the season and how Kyle trash and and all. And I, I kept calling people not just Georgia fans, but people like you know anti-Traskers of, of people these think that that they for whatever reason trying to convince themselves this kid is not good. He might not be a great NFL quarterback. I don't, I, I don't see that in him because I, I don't know why. But, like, I don't want to see him run the option anymore. I, please don't make me watch that. That was terrible. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I, I like the fact that he's at least willing to pull it back and run at yeah. times when you look at somebody like Jake Fromm throughout his career who sure. frustratingly wasn't willing to do that at times when it's like, dude, you just have seven yards right there. Contrast is at least willing to do that. Yeah, well, and I think that, yeah, that's just, that makes the offense work better in general, like not like a personal shot at Jake, but I will say now I will. Um, anyone that, that disagreed with me and, and thought this was a hot take that I said in the summer, come see me now. Kyle Trask versus Jake Fromm. Kyle Trask is a good quarterback in this in this league. He's a very good, really good. quarterback, and, and I think that it's early. They're playing teams that might not be as good, and we'll see what he does against those defenses. But I look at what he did in a game last year against Georgia, in a game last year against LSU. Now, and, and those things those things seem to hold more weight even more with the fact that like well, he did put up four touchdowns and one pick against, against LSU on the road. He did put up two touchdowns with no interceptions and over like sixty seven percent completion percentage against against Georgia. The floor is really high for him, and I, I think that. This kid is not going to light the world on fire from like a maybe I don't know like at, like at the combine or showcase maybe I don't know, but when you when you take the field every Saturday with him as your quarterback, you have to feel confident that you are, this 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 like offense is going to run like and fire on all cylinders. There's probably eight quarterbacks in the SEC at least, eight nine quarterbacks in the SEC who have a better arm than him. JG Felipe, these guys, Kellen better arm. Than, mm-hmm. than Kyle Trask. There's no doubt in my mind. But, you know, I was watching our guys uh, late on uh, on SEC Network. Yeah, on SEC Network and watching Roman Harper talk about this. He's like, I don't really care about arm strength. I just want a, a guy who can throw a catchable ball. And that's what yeah. Kyle Trask does so well. Through two games, 10 touchdowns, one interception, 72% accuracy, 342 yards per game. The competition is going to get better. But you look at those numbers, you're like, hey, 
a certain Joe Burrow started off 2019 very similarly to that. Just saying. Yeah. Just saying. You had the graphic that was out there as oh, well. That, not, that was not received well. And just so we're all clear, uh, the, the jinx is still working because the moment I finished the first uh, edition of that graphic, he threw, his, he threw a pick. Of course. Of course. LSU and Vandy. Bounce back week for LSU. Big time. Had a feeling that it was going to be the case for Miles Brennan. He's not perfect. He was not perfect on Saturday, but definitely good enough. Can we... I think we need to dismiss the he's not ready takes. I think we just need to get more of a realistic sense of. Yeah, I saw Booger McFarlane in the fourth quarter tweeting that in the in the, in the Mississippi ready? State game. Yeah, that he wasn't ready. And if you, search Miles Brennan, yeah, if you search Miles Brennan, if you search Miles Brennan, well, no. What I'm what I'm saying is that you look at what he's done through two games. We have way more expectations of what the LSU quarterback needs to be able to do to win uh-huh. a game in this offense, and that's that's the the big difference and why I think. There are, there are more moments in which you can those mistakes can be magnified. You put more pressure on your quarterback to be able to go through his reads, to be able to make those types of decisions. And you look at the numbers through two games, and you're like, he's averaging 340 passing yards. He's got seven total touchdowns in his first two games. He's just he's never going to be Joe Burrow. Like let's let's not yeah anybody that's holding onto that. I, I, there's there's a middle ground. There's I, middle I would ground say there. the numbers against Mississippi State are more inflated than this one. What were his numbers yeah, in the first half of that game when it was close? Because like yeah, the rest of the game, that's fair. And, and also the, the biggest issue is, I'm I'm way his numbers I think are gonna go, like Joe Burrow could go out there without Clyde Edwards-Alaire last year and win a, win a football game, and that's saying something because Clyde was a huge part of that success. It's won the playoff game without yeah. him too. This is this is uh, John Emery having over 100 yards rushing, them rushing for 161 total yards a team. Uh, that like what impressed me most about the offense last night for LSU is, in a time where you could definitely like panic. And, 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 like, really try to hone in on, on one guy. Like, hey, you got to take this over. you got to win it for us. Like, like, you know, whether it's Terrace Marshall or, or, or maybe even Emory or something like that or, or Brennan. But, like, where they could have kind of panicked and, and, and stuck to, like, the most basic, like, things that give them success on offense, they didn't. They ran the offense. They went out there and, and played, like, their yeah. brand of football. The, the fact they had 160 yards rushing and doubled their output from the week before, which is huge, I think that's a large part where they had success in the, throw, in the passing game. And, and the other part of this is – 11 different receivers caught a pass. Huge. When is, Need yeah. to be able to do that. So, Need to be able to do that. I, and I think the defense being able to, I know it's Vandy, sure, but, uh, you know, I, I, they they really needed to see a, a win like this and, and to be able to hold them under 300 yards was good. Um, so, I, yeah, a great win. It's, it's a feel-good game. Yeah, that, that's the type of game where you can't go out and win that game 21-7. to no. If you win that game 21-7, to sky is falling. You're you're in a much different place right now as opposed to getting going, which they did in the second half. It was a little bit of a slow start, but they did get it rolling. Also, shout out to gambling picks yesterday because LSU <laughs> LSU was was an 11 point favorite in the first half. I said early in the week, take them at 10, and it got to 11. I still took it. Vandy lining up, they missed a, a touchdown with like they missed like a 25 yard field goal. They too. missed a 25 yard field goal as time expired in the first half. To cover the spread, it was a beautiful thing. Oh, man. Uh, rough, rough day overall for, for Vandy, but very much a bounce-back game for LSU. I think if you were selling all your LSU stocks, saying, yeah. oh, this is a 4-6 and six team, this is a 5-5 five and five team, you're like, all right, that's that's what we expected LSU to do against a team like Vandy on the road. Mizzou and Tennessee. Now, this is a game that um, I – I felt actually like really good about it in the third quarter of like kind of the way that I thought it was it was going to go, and then Tennessee did something that 
I think it's it's easy to overlook mm-hmm. this, but we haven't necessarily seen this from Tennessee as much throughout this winning streak. They kept their foot on the gas. Yes, they did. They kept their foot on the gas in the second half offensively. And Tennessee, in many ways, was the vision of what Jeremy Pruitt initially wanted when he took over this program. It Cade Mays was back, and it showed. Yeah, I mean, on the offensive line, they just bullied Mizzou. A Mizzou defense, which we've given credit to and we've said is better than people realize. Eric Gray, Ty Chandler, they were phenomenal. Even JG, the former dual-threat quarterback, had a couple of rushing <laughs> scores. Um, JG is much better when he's not getting demolished. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's that's evident. Tennessee's offense had moments of 2017 Georgia. And I'm not saying it's the exact same thing, but where you look at you know the backfield duo with Gray and Chandler, and it's like Michelle and Chubb, and it's not they're not on that level yet. They, they are very yet. good. They're a very good tandem. Very good tandem, and with that backfield, that line, that's kind of what you would hope Tennessee can do. Like that's oh, when Tennessee's rolling, that's what they're going to look like. With, with, are they the best in, the best running back tandem in the conference? That's a good question. I would That's take over, over Najee and Brian Robinson, to be honest. because And Brian Robinson looked better yesterday, but I think from a... Trey Sanders slow start. Um, Trey Sanders slow start for, uh, yeah, for but, Bama. But still, but you're I, in the, the second string running back. No, right, right. I think coming into this year, though, as we talked about that, that was a popular topic. I, I think you could make a case... That even at Kentucky, Kentucky right now with uh, Christopher yeah, Rodriguez and AJ true. Rose, uh, and then Kvasi Smoke went healthy. He went yeah. down early in that game, but th- they're getting to that point. And that's you know what? That's a, a testament to an offensive line that is just so much different mm-hmm. than what it was two years ago. And that's a credit to Jeremy Pruitt, the way that he is recruited and the way that he has actually been able to develop talent, that strength program, and all the cliche things that we thought were maybe possible for this offensive line. It really looked like it on Saturday. Yeah, I was really impressed with this. And there's there was a uh, Tennessee's they're in this this weird stage uh, of a program where they're coming back where they're gonna, they you get these weird wins like this like where it's like yeah they won thirty five to twelve what why did they get twelve points like what's going on yeah um, I I think that there, there was a what was most impressed with this team it, quick shout out Larry Roundtree is about to have a season. Much like Rakeem Boyd did last year, uh, I think where where he's just going to be like so comment, underrated, yeah. and, it, and and he's he's a really good running back man. He did things like where he shouldn't have been able to gain a yard, and he was able to gain six or seven. And it, it they're going to scheme him in ways that that he wasn't schemed with 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 Dooley. I, mean, yes, I, just, I absolutely it, believe. I that. hate that he's going to. The season it's early, but it's kind of a wash for Mizzou. Like and but I, I I just that kid is so good. He's so underrated. Now back to Tennessee. What impressed me most about Tennessee was they came out. And, and just like kind of put their foot on the throat of of, uh, of Mizzou early, and and you kind of expected them to. But for a brief moment in the third quarter, Mizzou had some momentum. They scored a touchdown. Uh, I believe they got a pick or something like that. Or um, the Connor Basilak pick was was very costly. Oh, so that was like the key moment of the so, game. So, but yeah. but before that, they had they had some momentum. They were driving a little bit, and then they were they were like, you know, they, they just. They, I thought maybe Tennessee was going to do what Tennessee teams in the past had done, which was. You have an early lead and stuff like that, and they still expect them to win, but like, let some opportunities slip away and, and make it Hang closer. Around. Yeah, yep. make it closer than it should have been, and they didn't. They took. I mean, they like just forcefully took control of that game right back, and and then won. And there's no, without a shadow of a doubt, like you know, left left no doubt uh, as the game was over. 35-12, um, I think, is what this what this score should be in a game with Tennessee, Mizzou, and yes, Tennessee fans especially. Like that's what they expect when they when they go play a team like that. We're starting to see stuff from Tennessee where you talk about like 
them beating a Georgia, Bama, or Florida, and all that kind of stuff, or the top ten, the record against top ten teams dating back to like 2006. The the start, like you really see a program start to turn is when you start winning these games that you're supposed to win, and and like, I'm not saying that in a part, negative yeah. way. It, they they are starting to not just slip by and and get these like close wins. They're starting to 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 really find their identity. I think as a program defensively and offensively, and this is. Yeah. I'm not saying Tennessee's back like to what they were under Fulmer, but Tennessee football is definitely back to being a above-average SEC team that is you're going to have some hard, uh, like some difficulties playing every every Saturday. Six consecutive SEC wins, eight wins in a row, tied for the longest active win streak among Power Five teams, including Notre Dame. Roman Harper again, I thought put it well. He said Tennessee's two and zero, but it kind of feels like they could actually be much better in what they've been doing, and it feels like. They're they're a team that's that's figuring things out, mm-hmm. and while they might have left some points on the board, and you know that they they have room to improve defensively as well. I think that that was that was the start. If you're a Tennessee fan, that was the exact start that you could have hoped for before a very very difficult stretch coming up. The makeup of this team, like the makeup of its team with the coaches, with under Pruitt and these players that he has, like some of these key guys, like a Trey Smith, uh, you know, guys like like that that running back duo of Eric Gray and, and, and Chandler. This team, if it were to beat Georgia, like like, and I, and I think it's a big Ooh, if. Buddy. If they were to beat Georgia, things. or if they were to beat an Alabama, I think it would, it would like, they would suddenly be aware of how good of a football team they could be, and and, and you would kind of the light would come on of of this this like newfound confidence. I think, and that, that is something that SEC fans do not want to see happen because because I think mm-hmm. I think they are really close and like. You get a team that starts believing in themselves, and because like they really are, there's they've won eight games in a row, but people are still kind of discounting it, and I understand why because like the, the competition necessarily. But if they are able to even keep that game close against Georgia, and have a shot winning, coming up, yeah, mm-hmm. Ole Miss and Kentucky, Jesus, the Kentucky. game that I was like quietly looking forward to most <sighs> um, in many ways. I actually thought up for a second I was gonna nail my forty-two to thirty-four Kentucky victory prediction. But instead, what a throwback Kentucky way to lose. A missed extra point in overtime. How do you run for 400 yards and lose a football game? Oh, just They got screwed on the goal line again. They did. They did. But the A.J. Rose sequence, which was preceded by his, his fumble that he had on the goal line, which did he cross the plane? Yes, he, he did. Not. He had 1,000%. I thought, he, I thought initially he did. The fact, though, of like, He's on the 20-yard line, and I promise Ole Miss fans, I'm going to get to Lane in a second here. But where he's on the 20-yard line, and he's pointing to the crowd, a 20% capacity crowd, and he's and he's taunting, and he oh, gets I'm tackled on the five. Yeah, I'm uh, he gets tack he gets tackled on the five, and then that sets up the the fumble after that, and it was just an awful sequence, and it, it kind of made me wonder, you know, Kentucky in these first two games has just done the little things wrong. And they haven't been a disciplined team. They've struggled no. in short yardage. They've done stuff like like that play or fumbling on the goal line or, or a missed extra point in overtime. Like these things where you just kind of wonder, like, is Kentucky maybe a little bit out of its element right now? Does it, Like, have they bought in a little bit too much to this preseason yes. narrative of like, hey, this is the be- supposed to be the best team that we've seen under Mark Stoops? And have they now gotten to this point where, like, they almost don't know how to act and how to handle this. Like they don't know yeah. how to handle having a lead. They're up two scores. They're up two scores in the fourth quarter of that game, and they blow it. And they do these little things wrong that you're not necessarily used to seeing a Mark Stoops coach team do. Yeah. But it's like they just can't get out of their own way at this point. 
I, I'm going to make a bold prediction here, and, I'm, and I, I don't know this. And this is purely speculation. I could be totally wrong, and I apologize if I am. From, from somebody that's, like, been around teams like this where there's a lot of talent, and, but the, like, the results are still bad, in my opinion, you, don't have, you have a leadership problem. Not from Stoops, but on a team. And, and when you don't have a guy like Benny Snell, Josh Allen, Cash Daniel in that locker room, like an alpha in that locker room, and, and, and I'm not in that locker room, so I don't know what happens, but this, like, i tell you what. Asim Rose, Asim, like, we're 0-1. Like, we're 0-1, yeah. right? We, we just lost it, it because of all the times we shot ourselves in the foot, and, and we lost by double digits in this game where a lot of people were picking us. We were, we were like the, the, you know, the trending pick or whatever and i'm looking at the, the play right now where he's, he's talking to the fans there's no time for that shit like get, get not, we have to yeah. win a football game like and, the, and by the way because if you lose to ole miss you're not losing to a respect this sounds bad but you're not losing to a team that like would be a respectable loss quote unquote from from like like auburn that you were you were favored in you were favored by a touchdown in this game after yeah. after looking the way you did like the way you looked in, in week one and like Terry Wilson looks better. Um, I think all those guys believe in Terry Wilson for sure. I thought he looked really good. Yeah. I thought he actually looked really good. But, like, and, and again, the, them on the goal line after that 20-yard, when he was taunting the crowd or whatever, or pumping the crowd up, they fully got into the end zone. And there needs to be something that is brought up to these officials that is like, why are we so quick to assume they fumbled and didn't get in on the goal line? Because it's really, that shouldn't be our initial reaction. I, I just, I cannot fathom... Why, for two weeks in a row, you you didn't see what everyone else saw? Mm-hmm. Like all, yeah. you, all, like to be clear on this, to, like the, the rule is, it's not going over the white line of the end zone and the goal line. It is the ball has to touch the very front part of that white line, and it's a touchdown. That's it. it Kentucky it, is is putting itself in these positions, though, right? I mean, yeah. like they're they're putting themselves in positions where something like that can be make or break, and that's that's the the tough thing for this program. I was talking to Cash before the start of the season, and saying like, "Am I crazy to be this high on this Kentucky team?" And he's like, I, "Like, no. I mean, I, I like what we have at this level, this level, this level. The biggest thing, and it's the point that you just brought up." is finding that alpha. Mm-hmm. It's finding that guy who is going to figure things out when things are, are going wrong. Because right now, Kentucky is in that 0-2 hole, mm-hmm. and they just lost a game that they should have won before, after, during, whatever you want to say. They should have won that game against Ole Miss. But credit Ole Miss. Yeah. Because Lane is on the board. What a big-time win for Lane Kiffin. And, you know, this I, – I thought there were actually some things in the Florida game the way that Matt Corral was still like playing yes. at the end of that game, this is an underrated thing. Like this is something that we can get so lost in the shuffle with, and maybe you're watching a game late for gambling reasons or something like that. But the way that Matt Corral at the end of that Florida game was like really like never lost focus, and that Ole Miss defense was still like going full throttle at the end of that game where they're you know they're running the hurry up, they're still like legitimately running their offense, and they're 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 trying to do everything they possibly can just to be able to get as many reps as possible. The Ole Miss offense realizes that the defense sucks. Mm-hmm. They fully realize that. And I kind of said after that game, you know, I think that like that that's gonna follow this Ole Miss program the entire year. That's yeah. not changing anytime soon. They're not getting any reinforcements with that. But the good thing that I liked was that. I think this Ole Miss offense has this presence of mind where it's going to keep fighting, and that's going to win them a game that they shouldn't necessarily win, and it's going to allow them to come back late on a team that might think that they have a victory won. And that was the exact thing that happened against Kentucky where, you know, they were able to take advantage of some of those mental mistakes that Kentucky had. And 
Ole Miss just keeps on playing, and, and they don't get phased by anything. Like, even in overtime, Lane's out there bringing out John Rice Plumlee in at quarterback yeah. when that corral is rolling, and they it didn't even necessarily phase that team. Like, that's that's what I love about this Ole Miss team, is especially from an offensive standpoint. It's like they just don't really get bothered by anything that's going on with the defense, and they just continue to go out there and do different things and not be frustrated, and that creativity is still there. And you know what? Credit Ole Miss because that's that's a team that's going to be able to frustrate a lot of football teams this year. From an offensive standpoint, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you're like, the blueprint is very much there for this group. Yeah, I think that, um, and I'm glad you brought that point up too because that, that was that was my biggest takeaway. Is Matt Corral is just a, a dog. I mean, like he he is different hair this game. Yeah, I, I'm I get so <laughs> impressed watching him um, as a, as a quarterback because, like you know. What, you can say whatever you want to him from like a talent standpoint or he, you know, his career or whatever. One thing you cannot say about Matt Corral and have any kind of like, like validity to it is that he is not a, a competitor. And, and we saw it as early as two years ago in that, that Egg Bowl. And, and we saw it last yep. year sticking around and then coming back and bringing them back in the Egg Bowl. And this is a kid that, you know, I think especially after seeing the way he acted in the 2018 Egg Bowl, I wouldn't necessarily have assumed that he would have stuck around Ole Miss. And, and the fact that he did and, and the fact that he is – you know, kind of proving people wrong, and, and they're making this work. I, I, there was never a point in this game, and this is going to be such a fun thing to watch from Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin, is I get the feeling that they, even though they're in a first-year coach, they know their identity as a team, and they know. They do. They and, really do. And they, they, they lean into that very heavily, and I think that, like, I mean, down by 14, like, they want to win football games, but, like, this is fun. Like, this is just fun to be able to it's, come out It's here. the most fun team in the country. Yeah. It, it really well, is, like, from a neutral standpoint. Yeah. Like, if you're not, if you don't have a rooting interest, watch Ole Miss play on a weekly basis. You'll never be disappointed. It is, it's been, it was, it was just really, I enjoyed watching this because it was, it was a, uh, yeah, I mean, well, I hate it for Kentucky fans, but at the same time, for, for Ole Miss fans, uh, what, what a feeling, again, of validation took two weeks, a, a road game, again, again, Kentucky is good at home. Kentucky was 6-2 and two against the spread at home. Last year, like yeah. it, it, this is, this is a, a, a if you asked me who's a better coach than Stoops and Kiffin, I would have a thousand percent said Stoops. It, you know, maybe yeah. still would, but at the same time, it's it's got to feel so validating to. It only took week two to come out there, and people can say whatever you want, like oh they got all these garbage touchdowns in week one, and now you start to realize like no, this is this is a very good offense that's going to get people. It's fits. really good. And, and I tell you what, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to get out of the way of that on defense, but being able to go on a road game. With a first-year coach against a team that was preseason ranked and, and and win in overtime and to come back from 14, God, that's good. Like that that is hats off to that and to everyone on that team besides the defense um, and the defense <laughs> coordinator. But like it, it was fun to watch. And you know what was crazy too is it, you're not seeing anything any one specific thing that jumped out as to why it happened. It wasn't like you know like Eli Moore didn't have. 300 yards receiving or something crazy like that. Um, I think mean, he's still leading the SEC in receiving. Yeah, so we're still my good man on that right one. here. Um, but yeah, it's like like, and they gave up 400 yards rushing and were still able to come back. I told you that was my biggest concern going into this game was yeah. they that Florida averaged seven yards a carry against them and and, and Kentucky was able to do that. But I, I tell you what, there is absolutely no room for that garbage uh, from from AJ Rose. It's, there's not like it, and it, he knew it and he knew yeah. it immediately he and, and it. i hate i hate it for him and like something they'll learn from for sure but like how much better would it have felt to get the win yeah yeah definitely um these officials need miss, to be held accountable too i just want to say that <laughs> old miss is on the board cannot wait for lane versus bama cannot wait uh, before yeah. we get to some guess the lines for week three Marler, Sunday Apologies 
is something that I found myself thinking about throughout the day on Saturday. I'm like, how many people do I really need yeah. to apologize to? And I'm gonna let you start this off here because I think you only have one, but I think it's worthy. I think it's worthy. So I have two. One, I'm sorry to Kentucky fans, not because of anything I said. Well, I mean, I believe in you, so I'll apologize for that. But like, I, I'm sorry that you're having to go through this program because it's hurt to watch. It really did hurt to watch it, to see what everyone else was saying. Um, the other apology uh, is is um, to myself for doubting myself. Uh, and, and, it's big of you. And just yeah, I know. I just and I'm I can, I'm a man, so I can admit it. And just you know, thinking, ever having that seed of doubt planted last week about you know, there were so many people on, in the Facebook group, and I can't even remember their names, um, that, that saying. He's not Uncle Chris, he's Cousin Chris. Because in these games that we have to pick, that, that, that I wouldn't bet on necessarily, but I have to pick, I was 1-5-1. Five, and one. And, you know, it, it, you, you, can, you can do two things in that, that moment, Connor. You can, you can quit and, and kind of crawl up in the fetal position and put on some Inya. Or, well, we can't because we get paid to do this. But, yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I, I can. You can do whatever you want. But, right. Or the other option is, you know, you can get back up on that horse and start gambling again. And you could, you could throw things out there like... Uh, Saying Oklahoma State, I'm looking at my notes right now, Connor. Just you know, from this week, what I liked about this week: um, Clemson first half team total hit it. Oklahoma first half minus three hit it. Oklahoma first half money line hit it. First half team total hit it. Oklahoma State first half team total and full game spread hit it. Oh, what is that, Connor? Is that six and zero? I missed Texas first half six and one. Uh, there were five different bets in the Bama game. I told you all to do all of them hit. That's eleven to one. Um, this doesn't feel like an apology. LSU, minus one and a half, or minus ten and a half first half. I'm 12 and one. Georgia, minus four and a half, 13 and one. Florida, minus, uh, what do you call it? Minus 10 in the first half. I'm 14 and one. And their first half team total of 20 and a half points. 15 and one. Every single one of you. Listen, I'm going to be wrong again at some point. But this cousin Chris crap that y'all pulled last week, and I, I said, listen, it's fine. But when, when, when things are going well, I, I hope I hope you guys also uh, give me credit for that. And I haven't seen that yet. Um, but, you know, I, I want to apologize to anybody that may have doubted me after week one. Because if you followed anything I said yesterday, you should be rich as F right now. I'm going to make a similar apology. But I'm going to apologize to the faders because I let down the faders. Faders are I, I really did. You know, I, I said after last week, I said, feel, fee, feel free to fade me the rest of the year. I started off 0-6-1, and, and your boy bounced back with a, a winning weekend. Now, I realize that there are still some people who are going to look at that number and you say, hey, you're 4-9-1 on the year, man. Like, yeah, that's, that's great. Let's, let's chill. I'm still going to fade you. That's still going to win me some money. That's fine. I just wasn't as reliable for all of you who faded, which I might be speaking to a person here or there, but you know what? I, I let you down and that's on me. I didn't shoot the moon in the way that I originally inspired to do. So that that's on me and I'll, I'll try and be better. I'll try and give you more clear insight next week. That's I also want to apologize. Idea. I need to apologize to Stetson Bennett the fourth because our favorite DUI lawyer was, he was good. He was, he was good against a defense that is going to make a lot of quarterbacks look bad this year. And I was the guy saying, you know what, stick him on the bench and let him play if JT Daniels struggles. And I was dead wrong. So I, I'm going to apologize to, to Stetson, of course, for doubting his ability and his poise in that moment to be able to handle that spotlight because dude balled. The dude balled out. And, and I'm going to give him his worthy credit for being 
the QB1 in Athens until until something else happens, meaning injury or poor performance. Yep. He has earned that right. And then also, I agree with you. I need to apologize to Kentucky football fans. Just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, that I helped get your hopes yep. up maybe. And it's it's an 0-2 start. It's, it's all too familiar territory for Kentucky football. But I think better days are ahead. Maybe not immediately because that schedule gets tough, but... Um, I do think better days are eventually ahead for the Mark Stoops era. All right, Marler, let's get some week three lines let's do before it. we sign off here. It's an okay slate. There are a few games that really intrigue me, but very similar, I think, to what we saw in this second week of action. Let's start with Florida and AM. Now, you know, I'm going to save my prediction for this for later in the week, but. I kind of have this sneaky feeling that Florida's not going to be favored by as much as we would think. Because I know the optics are Florida's got this explosive offense, and it's got two Heisman Trophy candidates, and AM looked like garbage against Bama, especially in the second half. How can you possibly say that AM's going to keep it close against Florida? That touchdown, that, that touchdown spread is, in, is intriguing. I think it's more of like Florida minus six and a half. Um... Okay, it is a, it's a road game in meh. Uh, I'm gonna say it's it's a. I'll say eight and a half, but I, I my gut is saying ten. So, do you think it's that high? Yeah. Okay. I mean, all right. No, yes. Inter- I'd be I'd be very interested in that, despite all the things negatively that I said about A and M, because that was a preseason upset yep. that I had A and M beating Florida, handing Florida its only loss of the regular season. We'll see if we stick with that. We'll see if we stick with that. South Carolina Vandy. I know it's a game that you're going to have on uh, on Saturday. Jesus. You're excited for that one. Uh, South Carolina is going to be favored on the road. I gotta think though, this spread's not going to be that big. It's not going to be that big. Like I'm thinking. 11 points. Oh, I was thinking seven and a half. Okay. Um, yeah, I might have gone too high. I maybe, maybe high. but like, I, I don't know. I think South Carolina, they, hopefully by the end of next week, we're able to say that at least we know South Carolina has a, a good passing offense or something. I don't know. Should be a, should be a good, good matchup for, for Colin Hill, yep. one would think. Uh, Arkansas-Auburn, the Gus Bowl. Auburn is going to be favored in this one, despite the fact that Arkansas just got that monumental SEC win. Yeah, Auburn at home, maybe a little bit of that, hey, we're frustrated after a, a, an embarrassing loss. I'm thinking, though, Barry Odom's defense is going to keep this spread somewhere in the two-touchdown range. I'll say Auburn's a 15-point home favorite. Ooh, I was going to say 13-and-a-half. My gut... Which I don't know why I'm going against this because I was doing so well, but um, it was 11 and a half. Okay, okay. Which is stupid. It should, be, it should be Very higher, low. yeah. People, people would definitely. That, that, Jump that's all over that. Would, yeah. Mizzou, LSU. LSU gets the bounce back win. Mizzou is, is a little bit of a mess right now uh, early in the Eli Drinkwitz era. LSU is going to be, I got to think, at least a 20-point favorite. I'll, I'll stick with that. I'll stick with 20-point home favorite against Mizzou. Um, wait, hold on. For oh, I'm confused. Okay, uh, yeah, I don't think so. That's 20 points is a lot. Bama was only favored by 20 points against Mizzou. Ah, um, uh, that went up to 28 though. That well, that makes sense. I, I would say, I say it opens at 18 and a half. I, I think that they, they'll cover it because it is a home game. But yeah, I'll say 18 and a half. Okay, Bama, Ole Miss, uh, game that's God, going to be over. Awesome. Gonna be on this. 
high. It's going to be really, really high. Cannot wait for this one. Lane gets to welcome his former team to Oxford. Bama will be, uh, you know, I'm actually going to put it at exactly where I thought the A&M line was going to be. Bama's a 17-point road favorite. I like that. I like I like 17. I, I, I think 17 and a half is, is what I would say. Um, yeah. What I'm most interested to see out of this uh, is... The over-under? The, it, they, not the over-under, the team totals, and, and especially yeah. in the first half, because we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago. I, I, I keep That's like where... That's why one reason I don't like picking those, um, those some of those picks we have to do for like like for work, like where it's like, hey, who's going to win this game against spread? And, and like, because I wouldn't bet on it. But like, yesterday, Bama's first half team total was uh, sixteen and a half. What is that? Like, I mean, what? Um, yeah. So, and I think I think their team total for the entire game was thirty four and a half. So I, that is still kind of high. Maybe I think people might consider. There's no way their team total can be under 44 and a half, I think, with this defense. So I'm interested to see what that is, and I'll jump on that early. Mississippi State going on the road. Kentucky gets another chance at its first win of the oh, year. Man, one. how in the world do you, do you bet Mississippi State right now after what we've seen? How do you bet Kentucky? Uh, yeah, that's, what? that's another <laughs> good point. This this is the, the where I'm going to be most wrong about this. But I'm going to say that Mississippi State is going to be favored on the road, just because I think some of that Week One. That week one buzz is still going to be there. I think there's something like a five-point favorite. I was going to say, I think that, I think it'll open at, at like, it'll be between Pickham and like two and a half. I, I, I think, I'll say, I'll say oh, it's going to be at two oh. and a half. Because um, it's, it's hard not to put the home team as the favorite here, coming off a loss to, what do you call it? To Arkansas. Yeah, I know. Um, last one here, game of the week in the SEC, as far as I'm concerned, Tennessee and Georgia, battle of unbeatens. Tennessee is going to be an underdog Fine, yet man. again. The recent history has to come into play. We know that. It's been, it's been a very one-sided rivalry, to say the least. But maybe what we've seen from Tennessee so far is going to bring that spread, spread a little bit lower than what we were thinking coming into this season. I think Georgia is more like a 14-point favorite at home. Oh, or is that too big? It's too big. Too big? Stetson Miller okay. fourth is their quarterback. I mean, he looked good. I apologize to him. He looked good. <laughs> All right. Well, you apologize to him, so I think Vegas will probably take that into account. with the. Uh, with they will. <laughs> with what that'll be. Um, I, like, from, I, I don't think Georgia's going to lose the game. I'll say that already. But I think when Vegas is looking at this, that you have to account for the fact that this is a good Tennessee defense, one. And, it is. And Stetson no Bennett the fourth is your quarterback. So, But if, if that line comes out at 10, you know everybody's betting Georgia. You know everybody's betting Georgia. Yeah, I think it opens at 11 and a half. And, and, okay. and I think that far I would take Tennessee on that. Okay. We will see how we stack up these lines. Uh, we'll be out by the time that people are yep. listening to this, but we, we don't know the lines. That's the fun of this. All right. That was a very, very eventful week two slate in the SEC. Um, throw away what you thought in the preseason. We yeah. now have two weeks of data to be able to base some of these things on. Um, hopefully, we're going to have a, a repeat guest on this week. Um, we're, we're still kind of figuring out a time to be able to bring this person on, a person that's been all over SEC Network, um, hoping to be able to get that in the books. Marler is tired, clearly. Bye. By yawning. It was a late night. It was a late night. It's it was. It was celebrating. Mid-season format. Mid-season format. 
Um, but make sure that you're following all of our social media accounts at SDS, at SEC Football, at Vern Funquist, at CJ O'Gara, at the SDS Pod. Follow us on Instagram where Marler is posting graphics that get LSU fans very riled up about it. Comparing anyone to Joe Burrow. I stopped reading the comments. It's only week two. I've honestly stopped reading the comments. It's just it's ridiculous. It, like, like the numbers are there. It, it, it was just a side-by-side. I thought it was interesting. Jesus. But follow us on Twitter as well, and you can see the Stetson Bennett takeover. Yeah, that was fun. Had. That was great. Marty, even Marty Smith loved that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, very, very cool. Make sure that you subscribe to the newsletter, Saturday Dot Football, and pick up all of the great work that we are putting together on SaturdayDotSouth.com. So, Marlon, what do we need to remember? It might mean too much. Talk to you guys soon. Good work, dude. I'll talk to you later.